SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South, and welcome to another installment of the SDS Podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida, 620 AM and 95.3 FM. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. And our guest for this episode is Bobby Bear. He has quite an interesting story as a quarterback playing at Northwestern State in the old USFL and, of course, in the NFL these days. You can hear him on WWL in New Orleans, 870 AM, 105.3 FM, where he talks a lot of LSU. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Bobby A. Bear and the number three. Bobby, I've probably done your show a, a dozen times or so the last year or two, so I appreciate you getting a chance to return the favor for me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, hey, everyone loves SEC football, and, you know, as, as much as everyone loves the LSU Tigers, it's the same fan base in New Orleans Saints, and uh, everyone's kind of hoping if LSU can end up in Tampa in the Outback Bowl, kind of two for one. You know, with the Saints closing the NFL season in Tampa in consecutive days, you know, probably playing a Big Ten uh, opponent. So uh, I think that's what they're kind of hoping for right now uh, and definitely want to be in Florida at this time of the year. So uh, I think that possibly could work out. I think uh, LSU fans previously, um, a two-for-one deal was when they played an SEC championship game against Tennessee, I'm going to say, with 2000-2001. Uh, the very next day, they closed out the season uh, with the Falcons in the Georgia Dome, that being the Saints. Yeah, I'm, I'm here in Tampa. I didn't, I didn't realize that that daily double was a possibility. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if the Tigers are in the Outback Bowl, I imagine I'll get a chance to cover it. That should be a lot of fun. But uh, before we get too deep into that, the Saturday Down South podcast is brought to you by Holiday Inn Express. If you're in Atlanta this weekend for the SEC championship game, then you won't want to miss the Holiday Inn Express booth at the SEC Fanfare. They'll be getting fans the readiest before the biggest game of the year. So come to the Georgia World Congress Center on Friday, December 1st from 2 to 8 p.m. And then on Saturday, December 2nd from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. You'll be able to sit at a replica SEC Nation desk. You can take a picture, share it with all your pals on social media. There's going to be tons of pancake machines. You can make your own pancakes at the push of a button. Not to mention Cinnabon Sweet Rolls, which are coming to all Holiday Inn Express locations in 2018. Bobby sounds excited about that. You can do a virtual yeah. interview with Bob with Paul Feinbaum. Give him your hottest take in the SEC. And then on Saturday, there's going to be a meet and greet with some of your favorite SEC talent, not just Mr. Feinbaum, but Jordan Rogers and Marcus Spears as well. That will be 9 until noon. Holiday Inn Express can't wait this weekend for the SEC fanfare. They're going to get you ready at the Georgia World Congress Center. Please stop on by. And now again, Bobby Bear. you know, LSU is coming off a 9-3 and campaign. They're not going to be in the SEC title game on Saturday in Atlanta. But what's just sort of the, the temperature of the room after what we saw from the Bayou Bengals the last three months? Well, it's actually, uh, I think Coach O steadied the ship, so to speak. Uh, well, everyone's ready to jump off, especially after, uh, you know, that Troy game. But realistically, when you evaluate the season, uh, and if they win a series, if they'd have played Auburn uh, ten times, you might win two out of the ten. 
So that was enough said. Uh, there's no way they should lose uh, to Troy. So I think even a best-case scenario, you know, they're going to lose to Alabama, lose to Oregon, and, and have a 10-win season. And, uh, and now they still have a chance to get 10 wins, obviously, if you win the bowl game. But I think it's kind of like with the, the fans' expectations. Uh, some fans aren't happy until you beat Alabama. But you really have to be uh, realistic. And uh, I think that was a big feather in LSU's cap, uh, beating a team like the Auburn Tigers, who I think right now, uh, look across the nation, getting ready to go to the playoffs, be interesting to see how they're going to respond to Georgia in the SEC championship game. But I think they are the hottest team, uh, to say the least. But uh, th- that was a big win now, and I reflect on the season. Uh, what else she was able to accomplish. Now, uh, I think some fans uh, are a little disappointed when they look over all the offense in uh, Coach Canada uh, that ended up finishing the regular season uh, ranked 54th in total offense. There's only 125 FBS schools and 84th in passing and 30th in rushing and 71st in scoring. So I think now, you know, you had the injuries. Uh, you know, Darius Geis was hanged up. For part of the season, then you had a couple of true freshmen on the offensive line. And to me, that was the difference why LSU turned their season around was how they played in the trenches, especially in the interior D-line, the D-tackles uh, were playing awesome, and then obviously the offensive line maturing uh, and, and, and getting it done and winning those battles up front because at the beginning, uh, I said, that, that listen, the fans want to follow the football, but that's where LSU was getting whooped on all the defensive line, and uh, LSU fans are, myself included, watching it. We're not used to seeing that. Now, we know that Coach Orgeron can recruit. He's going to bring in plenty of four- and five-star talent. That's his reputation. We know he can motivate. We know that he can entertain on the booster club circuit and things like that. But grade him as an actual on-the-field coach. You have a very long and distinguished playing career, college, professionally, in several years. Uh, Just tell me, as an actual on-the-field coach, the decisions he makes, whether he goes for on fourth and down, uh, the type, those types of things in those 60 minutes of play? Well, uh, everyone has a mentor, and I would say what he's learned uh, from experience, I would say he's um, like Pete Carroll Jr., if that makes sense. I think LSU is almost like USC of the South, uh, what he wants to do and establish where you are winning uh, in the trenches. So I think he had a lot of influence from uh, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, and then uh, obviously as of late, uh, Pete Carroll. So I think he's very capable of making uh, those decisions, but you have to know uh, what's your strength. Uh, I tell people this, that a coach does not know everything. you got to have a background here. Either you're an offensive mind or defensive mind. For instance, Sean Payton with the Saints. He is an offensive genius, how he calls plays, but he, he don't run the defense. You know, he's not on top of that, but he's unbelievable in the offense. Well, Coach O, you have to know uh, your background, what's your strength, and, and that is recruiting and D-line. That's why I say he can never have where the D-line is struggling as uh, at LSU because um, that's a reflection he needs to look in the mirror. And I'm able to tell him that uh, because him and I go way back. I don't know if you know this, John, um, that his dad and my mom's mom, uh, my grandmother, a first cousin, we grew up four miles from one another. Uh, we won the high school state championship at South Lafouche, about 50 miles uh, south of New Orleans, down the bayou. We won the state championship uh, 40 years ago today in December. So we go way back. He came up to northwest Louisiana with me in Natchitoches. 
Uh, we roomed together 79, 80, 81 for, for three years. So uh, him, him and I go uh, way back. And um, so uh, all I know, he's very passionate. Uh, no one's going to work harder than him. And um, and he understands his strengths and weaknesses. And, and the, the bottom line is, uh, what you're not good at, then you have to, you know, get the right coaches around you and you have to be able to delegate authority. Sometimes that's the hardest thing when things aren't working out, that uh, you have to just trust in the system. And I think my, that's why they might have had a little bit of conflict uh, with Coach Canada, you know, looking in that Troy game, uh, simply because we should be smashing these people and not, uh, you know, trying to trick them uh, and try to play as far as uh, with the jet sweeps and all that stuff. Now, I knew that you and Coach O went way back. I didn't realize it was that far back. I just sort of assumed that everybody in Cajun country was a cousin to some degree. But uh, that's really interesting to hear. And you're, you're bringing me to the next part I wanted to ask you about, which is the coordinator situation. And that's one of the reasons why we liked LSU coming into the season, specifically the coaching staff. And if Coach O maybe had some limitations as a head coach, we loved bringing in Matt Canada as an offensive coordinator, and we loved year two from Dave Aranda as a defensive coordinator. But as you hinted, there were some butting of the heads between Orgeron and Canada. There's rumors that maybe he could leave the program. He could be a head coaching candidate himself. We've heard the same thing about Coach Aranda. What are the What's the likelihood that either one or both of these guys, or maybe neither, is going to be back in Baton Rouge next year because they're very good coordinators and other people would love to hire them in various capacities. Yeah, well, uh, money always comes into play. Uh, you know, a lot of times the uh, timing and, um, you know, it's interesting when you look at Coach Canada where he's at, uh, where you're going to go coach at a school that might pay you 800000 to a million and give up the 1.5. I mean, so uh, that's why I think you got to keep it in the right perspective. Yeah, who does if you have... If you're in coaching, you ultimately probably uh, will want to be a head coach sometime in your career. It's not 100%, but uh, listen, that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, whether you're a top coordinator, offensive, defense. But uh, when I look at Coach Canada and uh, where, where he's at, uh, look, he wants to uh, do his offense his way. And obviously, being a head coach, no one's ever going to challenge you. And uh, if I, I don't know really the inside scoop if, if he's going to end up leaving, but it wouldn't surprise me. I'd be somewhat surprised if Coach Aranda uh, would, would leave. Uh, but as far as uh, with Coach Canada, um, you know, he wants to be a head coach. And and uh, what's ironic, though, when you look at that, from an interim basis, um, actually the offense did better with Steve Entenmanger than and Coach Canada. Now you can say who's of whose players, what players do you have, and you're utilizing, but when, when Steve Ensminger took over the offense and Coach O became the interim head coach, the offensive numbers uh, were better than uh, Coach Canada, what he did this season. Yeah, I think a lot of that could be blamed on the fact that this was year one for Coach Canada and he's implementing a, a very new system as opposed to just sort of running what had been done previously with Coach Cameron, but definitely good points. But I want to talk about specifically the quarterback position because that's what you played for a long time and played very well. Danny Etling was a guy that people liked but didn't necessarily love. They assumed he was limited in terms of his upside and just the talent he brought to the table. That being said... With a bunch of freshmen on the offensive line and maybe some limitations at the skill positions, he's still a 60% passer, 
14 touchdowns, only two interceptions. He played very, very well in a handful of games against solid defenses this year. How would you grade what Etling did playing quarterback? Well, I mean, uh, I, I think it was outstanding. Uh, you know, he's as tough as they come. And what I mean by outstanding, uh, that he got the most out of his ability. You know, the fans around here get spoiled because uh, they see Drew Brees. We can't look out. And, and, and I said, listen, come on. You have to look. Drew Brees is a first ballot a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, you look at LSU history. Uh, they've always had turmoil, what I say, uh, with quarterbacks. Uh, for instance, Burt Jones. That is going old school way back. Oh, I remember. Early 70s. He's a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. You know, he alternated and he made first team All-American. He alternated. Charlie McClendon, Charlie Mack alternated Bird Jones with Paul Lyons. Paul Lyons is the running quarterback, running the option, and he's first team All-American. So, I don't know. LSU said that they never really had the stability at quarterback. Tommy Hodson was an overachiever, uh, did unbelievable numbers he put up in the SEC, uh, ended up going to New England Patriots. They never made it to the NFL level, but uh, there's nothing uh, that I, I can say really negative against Danny Antling. I mean, what do fans want? I'm looking at this against Coach Chavis and that Texas A&M defense. Now, Coach Chavis left LSU. He's 0-3 against the Tigers. You look at Coach Sumlin, he was 0-6. We're just looking at um, – the last uh, two games against uh, A&M, uh, Danny Adams, 39 of 58 for 671 yards. Okay, again, Danny Adams, 39 of 58 for 671 yards the last two games. He just had 20 of 28, 324 yards, and had two touchdowns, uh, and that, that was the college station win. And so you can just see the numbers that uh, he's put up, speaks itself, uh, and uh, it'd be interesting to see with Coach Chavis uh, where he's going to land. You know, all of a sudden he could be a hot commodity, uh, you know, his Tennessee background. But he allowed more than 510 yards and almost 40 points a game uh, against LSU. But uh, Danny Adling, all, all he did was uh, get the job done in two straight games versus the Aggies to close out the season. Cause, yeah. uh, when you look at this, a career, a career high, 19 of 33, 47. And then last year, 20 of 23, 24. I'd say the least he has the Aggies number. Yeah, I think that Etling only had two 300-yard passing games in that purple and gold uniform, and coincidentally, they came against Chief in that Texas A&M defense. So, right, right, exactly. Let's go to the other side of the ball, and we know that LSU is sort of in this battle, this fun little battle with the University of Florida as DBU in terms of sending the corners and safeties to the next level. And there are a couple of really, really good ones in Baton Rouge right now, and they're just freshmen. I mean, Greedy Williams, five interceptions, one of the best corners in the league already as a freshman. Grant Telpit, he's a guy we really knew on the recruiting trail. Sensational freshman season for him as well. I thought it would be difficult to replace Tredavious White and Jamal Adams, of course, but I see very, very bright futures for Williams and Delpit. What do you see from these young men in the secondary? Yeah, then you got to throw in Dante Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, with his speed. Yeah, it, I mean, it goes on and on. You can see they make a difference in certain games. Now, when I was disappointed in that Tennessee game, I didn't know it was, you know, the weather's ridiculous and um, it was lack of concentration where they gave up a couple of, um, you know, deep balls. And I said, well, we didn't, well, he didn't look like DBU against uh, the Volunteers. But no, that's usually not the case because even when, you know, started out the game, LSU had a fumble. Uh, Greedy Williams uh, gets an interception in that first quarter. 
after J.D. Moore had fumbled, uh, all of a sudden the momentum shifts back to LSU. And then Dante Jackson, to me, it was like the play of the game, too, the same thing early in the third quarter. Uh, you know, when A&M had cut the lead to 20-14, to 14, uh, he comes over to the interception, all of a sudden LSU's up now 27-14. Uh, to 14. So, yeah, that's uh, the, the one thing with Louisiana, when you don't have, and, and I, can, I, I can tell you this, that uh, they had, and Coach O knows this, they don't have enough linemen. What I mean by that, you have the, like clap, uh, you know, from Brother Martin New Orleans, but you have to. That's as that's as good as like being close to Texas. That's why I think Texas A&M, the University of Florida, is an outstanding job. A lot of pressure, but wherever there's players, wherever uh, you know, they have people that have players. Florida, Texas, California. Watch out! I'm telling you, UCLA, Chip Kelly. You remember how all of a sudden Oregon's on the map? I'm telling you, watch out UCLA the next three or four years with Chip Kelly there, and they got Under Armour backing them up, that Under Armour money where, you know, getting on the West Coast and in a city like L.A. and competing with Nike. And so I, I, I think that all matters. And what LSU has to do to compete with Alabama is you have to get uh, the linemen somehow, and it's not in the state of Louisiana. You can have one, two, uh, but really you have to be able to recruit nationwide uh, to get those guys in their trenches because they're always going to have the skilled people. The defensive backs, uh, receivers, they'll actually have too many of them. And, you know, and they'll end up going somewhere else and have success. Then you even throw in there like a Patrick Peterson left South Florida and came to LSU. But uh, going forward, I think if Coach O, when you want to win uh, 10 games or more, uh, that that that's where uh, you know he's coach. I want to say like uh, on the top of my head, eight or nine uh, first round draft picks in the NFL. So he knows D linemen, and uh, and and I think that's the formula to, to overtake Alabama if they can win in the trenches. And obviously, if you have a quarterback that can extend plays and ad lib, I mean, when you look at Johnny Menzel, uh, then you look at Kelly at Ole Miss. I mean, uh, even when Ole Miss beat um, Alabama, it was like the, the quarterback making plays that you don't necessarily count, count on when you're setting up a game plan like with Bo Wallace and uh, what he was able to do. But, yeah, that, that LSU is going to have – they're going to be DBU. Uh, another position that Louisiana has not produced for some reason is linebackers. And now they'll have, like I said, the skilled people – They'll have running backs, receivers, defensive backs, but overall linemen, and then um, and it, it'll be cyclical because uh, I know when T. Bob was there, was playing from uh, 2007 to 11. My son, who, who came out of Georgia, and I was living in Georgia before I came back to New Orleans because uh, I finished with the Falcons after the Saints. That uh, that's when they had um, like Kelvin Shepard. I want to say uh, what was his name, uh, Riley. He had two Georgia linebackers that came to Louisiana and were starting for LSU and played in the NFL. But when I when I look at uh, LSU, that the year in year out, just look at four star, five star, what you rank, they always have uh, those skill players, but few and far between linemen. And what they got to do, when you got a guy with uh, from Monroe, Louisiana, like Cam Robinson, you got to keep him in the state. Don't let him go to Alabama. When you have a stud lineman like that, because uh, everyone knew from the get-go coming out of high school that he's got a great college career and be an NFL uh, starter. 
For everybody listening and heard T-Bob, by the way, that is Bobby's son, one of the great Cajun names of all time. Feel free to look him up. Pretty good player himself. You are listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Our guest is Bobby Bear, the Cajun Cannon. He's a member of both the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame and the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. And I would love to talk about your playing career a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm 42 years old. I grew up watching you play. And one thing that I'll always remember about your time in the NFL was sort of the birth of the run and shoot. And you played originally under Jerry Glanview, Glanville with the Atlanta Falcons, then eventually June Jones. And the Falcons were one of those run and shoot teams. And at the time, most NFL squads were pretty traditional in their pro sets. I mean, just about every snap you had a tight end, you had two receivers, you had a fullback and a tailback. Maybe on third and 12, you put four receivers out there. But the run and shoot basically didn't have fullbacks on the roster, basically didn't have tight right, ends right. on the roster. You were four wide and alone back every single snap. Just how revolutionary was it running that offense late 80s, early 90s in that type of NFL environment? Well, that was more um, what you see uh, today's football. We're spreading everyone out. Now, uh, what was difficult to do that at the NFL level, because you did this half roll. Uh, now, June Jones uh, switched it up. We get in the shotgun. You kind of just drift over the guard. And uh, the one thing was so challenging to make the run and shoot work in the NFL, because uh, the NFL defensive ends are too good. Uh, everyone has the defense that can uh, rush the passer. So the angles that they were coming up field, you were like uh, rolling into the, uh, the pass rush. And, uh, you know, June Jones doing it at Portland State, him and Miles Davis, uh, and looking and running the run and shoot. Uh, it helped me make the Pro Bowl. I played in the Pro Bowl in 1994. I threw Bad Moon, Andre Rising, 15 touchdown passes in uh, that season. And I tell you, so I, I'm thankful because I ran different offenses, like conservative, traditional, and to run the run and shoot. And the quarterback that was unbelievable in the run and shoot and could spin it, uh, as a 40-year-old. Warren Moon. A couple of them. It was Warren Moon was like, un, I'd watch Warren Moon film. It was unbelievable. When he was 40 years old, he could still throw like he was a 20-year-old. So to me, it was unbelievable. And then one guy, and kind of the old-school version of Jay Cutler, uh, Jeff George. And Jeff George could throw an end cut at 45 yards. Usually you throw a dig route, an end cut, and you go down uh, the line of scrimmage, or you going down the field. You cut 15, 20 yards in, and that's an end cut, a dig route. Jeff George could throw it on a line like 45, 50 yards. It was it was unbelievable. I can tell you this quick story. We were playing the Miami Dolphins and Dan Marino on one side, and now I had hurt my elbow, and then uh, so Jeff's with us. So I'm backing up Jeff. I'm kind of like a player coach at the end of my uh, career. And then uh, so the Falcons, we playing the Dolphins, and June Jones and I are in the middle of the field, and we're watching Jeff George throw, we're watching Dan Marino. And I'll tell you, this sounds like blasphemy. I'm not talking about playing the quarterback position. Uh, Jeff George could, could throw it, uh, a better ball than Dan Marino. And people think, like, oh, what are you talking about? I'll just tell you, as far as throwing it and not playing the quarterback position, Jeff George uh, could spin it. Uh, now, he wanted to play football without getting hit, I mean, he'd have been an awesome flag football quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, I I covered the Bears for six years in Chicago. I'm very familiar with Jay Cutler's game. And I always said that, you know, if you had the scouting combine all over again for the current 
NFL quarterbacks, Jay Cutler would have as much pure talent as anybody, especially with that right arm. Now, actually playing the position, that's a little bit different. Right. But, but the reason I bring exactly. up the run and shoot is because I want to spin that forward to what we see in today's college football with the spread. Now, it's a little different in terms of the personnel packages. You might have, you know, 22 personnel one snap, and then you're going empty the next. Lots of shifts in motion, things going a million miles an hour. However, when the ball is actually snapped, is the football that much different today than it was when you played? Or is it just a bunch of bells and whistles, a bunch of formations, a bunch of funky stuff to dazzle the eye, but you know what? The ball snapped, and this is a corner flat concept, and this is a double post concept, or you know what? This is four verts, find the guy with single coverage. Yeah, I really think uh, it's more simplified now. compared Because I mean, when I was first learning to run and shoot, I'm like, what? You know, the receiver would have, uh, you know, a couple of options, maybe three, where Jim uh, Jones are running shoes. You know, from every play, the receiver has five options. I'm like, what? But so am I going to be on the same page and anticipate throws? I think now with all the movement, what you're trying to do is outflank the opponent and, uh, you know, confuse the coverage uh, to, to make him, uh, even in the run game, sometimes you're spreading out, obviously, you know, just to run the ball and outflank your opponent, but um, no, I, I actually think um, the problem right now is, uh, and, and the NFL hates this, uh, you might say, well, the game is changing, because you see the same type of plays in high school, you're going to see in, uh, from the pistol, however you describe it, the spread, like the high school, college, and you're going to see it in the NFL, because uh, how you develop in quarterbacks, but that's why uh, like, I still think a Tom Brady or Drew Brees like uh, look at Jared Goff, uh, you know, at Cal, and, uh, you know, he was able to play, like, in that shotgun and, and a spread. But look how he adjusted being able to do both. And uh, when you look at it, like high school coaches, they're not worried about developing a quarterback. Uh, they they want to win games. A lot of times you put your best athlete at quarterback, and, uh, I mean, you're kind of telling them always what to do. They, they don't have a complicated playbook so that's the one thing i think what the spread has done as of late looking at the 21st century the the supply and demand that's why drew Brees is still going to get 25 to 30 million dollars next year considering he's almost 40 years of age because there's not enough uh good quarterbacks and uh, developing them but it seems like that's the way the nfl is going uh but i think deep down though it's still can you win in the trenches, protect the football, and, and take it away? Uh, but, yeah, I'd be interested to see within the next uh, decade uh, the future NFL quarterbacks and, and how they're developing, who we actually seeing from the uh, high school to college to the pro level. All right, Bobby, one last question for you. Now, you had an USFL career with the Michigan Panthers and then the Oakland Invaders. You're actually the all-time leading passer in the USFL. But then you come into the NFL – And you get to come home and you play for the New Orleans Saints. And I've been to New Orleans probably a dozen times in my life. I'm very, very fond of that part of the country. Incredible people, incredible food, very unique atmosphere. I'm sure you have a couple of ridiculous stories involving Bourbon Street 
and the NFL, whether it was Saturday night before a game, maybe you and a teammate, or maybe it was Sunday night after a game, you and an opponent. There's got to be some ridiculous Bourbon Street stories. I've heard stories left and right, like when the Chicago Bears were there for the Super Bowl in 1985, right about the time you got to the Saints. There's all kinds of stories about Bears hanging out at Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop the night before the Super Bowl. So please give me a gem from that part of the country. Well, uh, I wish I could. I was actually pretty boring then. Uh, I had four kids to raise. And um, well, when I was playing, uh, I, I was pretty disciplined. If I went out with the guys, it was like to go to a steakhouse or home, uh, or, or you know, get go to a steakhouse and eat, like as the offensive line or as an offensive group. But I'll tell you, I, I, and I can, I can hang now. Okay, I guess it's cyclical. <laughs> uh, Coach Moore and I did enough in college. That I maybe was uh, pulling the reins back, but I got married. I had had four kids. Uh, my senior year in college, I had uh, a, 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 my daughter, my oldest daughter, and so uh, no, I actually was uh, pretty disciplined because I had to work hard. So I, I knew what I was doing. I always prided myself mentally to be on top of my game plan, and um, I was putting in those fourteen-hour days, sixteen hours, uh, getting ready. So. Of all places, geology, I wish I had stories, but, um, John, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I was pretty boring and um, and lived actually across the lake in uh, a town called Mandeville, across the lake, Apache Train. So I, I was I was 40 miles away from the city, and uh, maybe that's where uh, my wife, uh, she was smart to, to get a house there, and that's where we lived. All right, true or false, you were ever sacked in a Saints uniform and the guy who peeled you up off the turf smelled like the courtyard of Pat O'Brien's from the night before? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, mean, that, I, I don't know. There's some vicious rumor out there. I, I, I really don't know that. I, I know I can tell you a quick Lawrence Taylor story. Please. And, uh, that, Anything that was, for a Lawrence Taylor story. That, uh, Lawrence, that's when he was probably high as a kite. Remember those days? And I swear, you know, you, you know, you play and you're confident. And, you know, I'm looking across the line and I see LT. I swear, he looked like he... Two things. He looked like a wolf, or like he was demon possessed. And I go, whoa, this guy's coming. I remember we had Jim Dombrowski, who was a first round draft pick at the University of Virginia, and we had him at tackle. And after that game, his confidence was so shot, he ended up having to move a guard and played guard at a high level, a starter for double digit years, a Pro Bowl type player at the guard position. But he was at tackle. I remember Lawrence Taylor. You know, all of a sudden, could see you know how you set as offensive lineman. Are you on your heels? Are you going to be aggressive? So uh, Jim Dombrowski was ready to attack him, and then um, I mean, Lawrence Taylor swam him in about I don't know half a second. He was bam! I'm getting hit. Three step drop. I had to either throw a fade or a quick slant, and then the next play, or uh, we pass it again. Then he could sense he was on his heels. Then he would bull bull rush him. And just and Dombrowski is about six six three twenty, and just run him over. And then one time I was probably in the middle of the second quarter, and I was trying to encourage him, like just saying a few choice words, like "Come on, Dumbro, you gotta get after him." And one time he picked him up and threw him into my legs, and I I, I really got after him and uh, cussed at him. And then um, and he goes, "Look!" And he like tears in his eyes. He goes, "Look, I'm trying, but I, I you know I can't block him." I go, "Oh, this is great," you know. <laughs> that, that, so that was kind of like a game experience. Uh, so I had uh, as, as great as Reggie White was, and he got after me a few times, you know, 
in the USFL with the Memphis Showboats and the Eagles and the Packers, but uh, it was nothing like Lawrence Taylor when he was with the Giants. Bobby, thank you so much. I'll never turn down a Lawrence Taylor story, and I hope to return the favor on your show again very soon. All right. Okay. Thanks, John. Okay. okay. Sure thing. That was former Northwestern State, USFL, and NFL quarterback Bobby Bear. Be sure to listen to him on WWL in New Orleans, 870 AM, 105.3 FM. He is on weekdays from 4 to 8 p.m. local time. Also follow him on Twitter at BobbyAbear3. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends at WDAE in Tampa and our sponsor, Holiday Inn Express. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast is located. Be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com. <laughs>